talk about that there are grades of fun. There's levels of fun. And he actually talks and explains, he says, like, you'd be surprised, but a roller coaster in their grading scale is actually the lowest, the lowest grade fun you can have. And here's why he says, because, you know, on the roller coaster, that's a ton of fun, right? It's exciting, you know, man, it's a great time. But the thing is, it's like years down the road, you don't get together with those friends and you're like recounting, man, you remember that roller coaster ride? That was so amazing, man. Like that was life changing impact, like going up and then dropping and then like my puke hit you behind me and everything like that. Like you don't talk about that kind of experience like years down the road. So they said it's really the lowest grade fun that you can have. He said, what's kind of weird is the high highest grade fun for them, you know, they're all hunters and, and, and fishermen. He said, he said, we talk about years down the road, these hunts or these fishing trips where the weather was terrible. We were stuck in our tents. He said, but they're the highest grade fun because they are the ones that you remember and you recount for the rest of your life because they changed your life. They were that phenomenal of an opportunity. So that's why it's the highest grade fun. It got me thinking, got me thinking. I was like, what if what if God designed Christianity to only be about hearing about Jesus and accepting him, and that was it? You got your free ticket to heaven, right? Like, imagine that for a second. If you think about it, that's really the lowest grade relationship you can have. There's a lot of excitement in the moment, right? You become a Christian, you start following after Christ, and you're like, whoa, I get to go to heaven. But after that, that's really it. There's not any transformation that would come if it was just about getting a free ticket punched to go to heaven. It's just accepting Christ, right? But that's not at all how he designed it. He designed the, the invitation and the accepting of Christ is really the first part of the journey, but he's designed it to through trial through struggle sometimes, through ups and downs and having to learn to depend on God for following after him, for him shaping us into becoming leaders in the gospel and living that out, that actually ends up being the highest grade relationship that you can ever experience. And that's why it's God's design that we've got to get past this, maybe it's just about accepting Christ and getting to go to heaven, that actually the design of this for relationship is actually to pursue him, actually to follow him because of what that means for our relationship. I think it was Tozer that says this, how tragic that we in this dark day have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ, and we're not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. Whoa. We've been snared in the coils of spurious logic, which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. That's a smart dude. So here's where we are today. We're looking at what does this journey of following actually look like and how should it produce in us the ability to lead humbly by example. So here's what I got. I got four ingredients for you. I got four ingredients, so you're gonna have to listen to these as, as I'm going. Four ingredients. I got three instructions with those ingredients, okay? And then um, one stamp that I need to talk about, okay? Four ingredients, 
three instructions, one stamp. Everyone's like, what the heck does the stamp have to do with this? All right? So you got to listen. Got to listen. That's the point, right? So turn with me. Let's jump back into our Bibles, 1 Thessalonians. Paul's writing to them. This is a a, a newer church that's been formed, and here's what he says, starting off in verse 2. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to stop there because the first thing, first thing that we see is we've got to understand this part of follow. And when I say follow after God, like I, I, I'm going to kind of hit you with, that means going hard after God. Man, I'm a, I'm a sports guy, and I like to push players, man. And so when I think about following something or doing something, that means a, 100%. You put everything into it, going hard after God. That means a passionate pursuit of him. Not just pursuing him, but a passionate pursuit after God. And there's three ingredients that Paul kind of mentions that he sees in the Thessalonians as they are passionately pursuing. They're going hard after God. The first one he mentions to him in verse three, he says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and the steadfastness of hope that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, so the first ingredient is, man, following takes laboring in the gospel, a laboring in the gospel. Man, it's that laboring of faith And faith actually at work, at work. That love, that steadfastness of hope rooted in Jesus. Man, that stood out to Paul. It stood out to him. This is apostle, this is the guy who knew Jesus and he's going, man, this is what I'm seeing in your life, in your pursuit, in your following after him. Man, it was so clear to Paul He saw their willingness to be transformed. Their new life in Christ was rapidly changing from their old life. And they were laboring after it. What I love about this, man, love, love was the marker for that labor. Love was the marker for that labor. Passionately following is a labor of love. Where there's going after your own desires, though, There's only a labor of selfishness. You can't can't follow after Christ if you're laboring in your own desires constantly. The second ingredient he mentions to him is he sees the evidence of this persistent hope. This persistent hope. They had this hope and this steadfastness in their hope. That's a firmness to be planted, to stick your flag going, I'm hoping in Christ alone. That's where I'm resting. That's what it's dependent on. 
What I love about this is, man, it was fully in it. It wasn't like a little bit of hope in Jesus and then kind of some, some hope that the government's going to make good choices. I've got a little bit of hope over here too and some job security. Yeah, I got a little bit of hope in that, you know, I've got a good family. Not that those are all bad things, but the, their hope was fully rooted in Christ. Fully rooted in Christ. They had this persistent hope. It was ongoing. It wasn't momentary. It wasn't just for you know, the flavor of the season, like things are going really good, so I'm going to hope in Christ now versus when they're bad. No, it was ongoing. There was a persistence in it. The third ingredient, man, they had a faith that had been proven true through the trials. Proven true through the trials. Look at verse 4 again in 5. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. He talks to them about, man, this came to you not in an easy time. Gospel landed kind of on your plate and in your life when things weren't going super great. It wasn't actually an easy uh, time to consume the gospel and want to follow Christ. But yet they went hard after him. They realized the good that was in it. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that they had been called by God and following because the gospel came to them in those difficult times. And they were willing to go hard after God, to seek God in those times. Because here's the truth. Look, following passionately means you're willing to follow when it gets difficult. means you're willing to keep pursuing after him even when things get a little shaky, even when relationships are a little topsy-turvy, maybe when culture does not fully agree with what Jesus says. You still follow. Man, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 7, 14. That's what our youth kind of Realize and follow after me that the gate is narrow and the way is hard when you follow after Christ. But it is absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, the only path that leads to life in the end. It's the only one. So the Thessalonians are realizing, going, look, I know it's hard, but it's the only one that's actually going to bring me legitimate life here and in the one to come. Their view extended past their circumstances for what God was going to do. The fourth ingredient is this imitation of Christ. They were imitating Christ. Verse 6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. That's the final ingredient that he sees in the passionate pursuit that they were imitators. Look, you know what's crazy was the New Testament really at this point, it wasn't like they could go and grab their Bible, flip to them and go, oh, hey, there we are, Thessalonians. No, like they actually had to look at how Paul lived. What was Paul saying and how did he live it? And then they could hear the other testimonies about Jesus and they go, what Paul's saying is exactly what Jesus was living. So his words and his actions matched up. And then Paul's words and his actions match up. That must mean that our words and our actions need to match up too. 
And they were willing to live the way that Christ lived. They were willing to live how their leader Paul had lived. They were imitators in how they were going hard after God. Those are the four ingredients. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're like, that's great. You've given me four wonderful ingredients. But how? What do you do with those ingredients? How do you get those ingredients to show up in your life? What do I do with that? Maybe I've got a little bit of laboring in love. I mean, me personally, not as much. I definitely need some work there. But some of you probably got some laboring in love, right? But how do you maybe increase or go to the Lord that I need these ingredients, right, to start showing up? You ever cook something and you start smelling it as it's baking? And you can pick up like the ingredients that are actually there as they're coming together, man, and it's baking that thing. Like for me, it's like, man, I can always smell when something sweet's in the oven. <laughs> Praise Jesus. And people should be able to smell these ingredients cooking up in our life. But there's three ways. Here's the good news. Jesus actually gave us the three instructions for kind of baking in this recipe. And that's in Luke 9.23. You can turn there or you cannot turn there. Um, I suggest that you turn there. It's a good verse. Might be worth highlighting or underlining, maybe mo- making a note. I would circle these three instructions. Jesus is talking, and he's telling his people, he's telling his people, look, you're going to follow me. This is what you got to do. He says, and he said to all of them, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You remember that game, Follow the Leader? It was a simple one. It's pretty simple, right? There's a leader. You got to pick a leader, right? And then you follow them around and you do what they do. It's a simple game, right? But you know, what makes that game hard is if you try to anticipate what the leader is going to do before they actually do it, then you don't do so well at following the leader. And that's really the first kind of thing that Jesus mentions to him. He says, look, the first step, the first instruction is, man, you have got to accept Christ as your leader. He's got to be your leader which means actively rejecting everything else as your leader. Did you get that? That's like one of those where they say it's one instruction, but really it's a tricky two-part instruction. They're like, there's one, and then there's one A. And you're like, dude, that's, that's two instructions. You should just put one and two, not one and one A, okay? But he's saying, look, you've got to accept me, and you've got to follow after me, but... That also means for us rejecting anything else that we are going to assume or want to be our leader. And I'll tell you what gets in my way most of the time is I want to be the leader. Most of the time, what I have to reject is me. Me being the leader. And so Jesus sets that up. He goes, first thing, you're going to deny yourself. You want me to be your leader. You want to follow after me. You got to deny yourself. First step. Second instruction. He said, man, take up your cross daily. It's a daily commitment. He said, you're going to have to commit daily to this. 
Commit daily to the obedience of what he's calling us to. Taking up the cross is a commitment to walking where God has called you to walk. It's a daily commitment in that. The third thing, he says, follow me. He's basically saying, he's saying, you've got to watch my every move. You've got to watch my every move and consistently step in the direction that I'm telling you to step in. Look, there's no getting away from this fact. If you are going to pursue Christ, if you're going to follow after him uh, passionately, consistently, there's no getting away from, you need this every single day. You need to talk to your father every single day. We can't just hit these momentary glimpses and just hope, man, I spent a couple minutes with the Lord and I hope that that gets me through the next week. I can't just, I'm going to rely on Jesus this morning and I could kind of lean on my own understanding for the rest of the week and hope that it goes well. We need obedience and the boldness to go, I need to be here every single day. Jesus, I need your presence every single day. And a boldness maybe in our life is where it starts to go. I'm going to start pushing some other things out of the way to make sure that happens. It's a big instruction. But if we, if we aren't willing, then you're not going to smell the aroma of those ingredients baking in our life. That's following. That's going hard after God. The other thing that we see, though, that Paul pulls out is that these people, the Thessalonians, began to lead. They began to humbly set the example. Oh, sweet. I've got an extra hour. That's awesome. <laughs> you think I'm joking? No, I'm just joking. Verse 7. Jump back to me, 1 Thessalonians. Let's pick up with what Paul sees them doing as leaders. Verse 7, it says, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So they were imitating Christ. They were imitating Paul, what they're saying, so much so that they became an example to the other churches in the area, to the other believers. For not only, verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You ever realize about, about a leader? Man, a leader's passion is magnetic. A leader's passion is totally magnetic. It just kind of draws you in. But you know what's crazy? Their humility is the ultimate draw. Man, people are totally sucked into just someone that's just humbly leading. Man, you think of some of the great leaders, you know, George Washington, I think, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., Mandela, Mother Teresa. These were people that, man, they had a passion for what they were leading. 
Man, but they had these points, and I'm not saying that they did this perfectly, but they had these, these points of humility that just kind of drew in people to want to follow them. It was funny, Forbes magazine um, pulled out some research and some survey information, and they're actually talking about what, what builds the most transformational leaders. What, what kind of leaders can come into a company that is just tanking and ultimately transforms it into this profitable company? And they said that, you know, what was interesting as they, they surveyed people, as they looked at all the different dynamics, they said that humility was a resounding factor in someone being a transformational leader. The leader's uh, humility gave them the ability to listen to other people, gave them the ability to understand that they didn't have it all figured out, that they needed to depend on other people. And People, their workers said they wanted to follow that leader because of their humility. That it was the number one thing that people appreciated about those leaders. Wasn't the fact that they were turning around the company. Wasn't the fact that, you know, they were getting their pay increased because they were doing so well. It wasn't all these other little factors. They actually said that they wanted to work for that person because they were humble. Isn't that funny? Funny how that plays out. But yeah, it makes you wonder, like, why are so many people not? Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, you know, business book, a lot of people have read it, he found two common traits of CEOs and companies that were able to transition from an average company into a superior market, market performance. And here's what he said. He said, humility was the number one thing and an indomitable will to advance the cause of the organization. Let me flip that paradigm. Imagine if we were those kind of leaders, but it was for Christ. We were humble, and we had an indomitable spirit to pursue kingdom living and advance the gospel. Imagine how our world would be transformed. Imagine the glory that Christ would get if we were those kind of leaders. The Thessalonians we're going hard after God. Their passion for living the gospel, it began to impact the world around them. It was Paul that actually called them the example. They weren't like saying, hey guys, come look at us. We've got it figured out. We're nailing this Jesus thing, bro. No, man. Paul's like, look, man, I can see that you're leading, that you're humble, that you're setting the example because everyone else can't stop talking about it. Everyone else can't stop being impacted because of the gospel in your life being lived out. See, because honestly, the Thessalonians were not concerned about being the greatest. Their ultimate concern was living for the greatest. They weren't concerned about being the greatest. And our culture has so consumed about be the greatest of all time. What's that term, a goat? That's what they call them, be the goat. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No one wants to be called a goat, okay? That, that's a side note for free, okay? Hey, but our culture's so consumed with it. You've got to excel to this apex. You've got to be the greatest. And the Thessalonians were living and going, you don't have to be the greatest, just live for him. Sorry, I spit a lot. It's a good thing you got a raincoat on.
you cannot want to be a leader. You can, look, I just want to live for Jesus. I don't know that I want to be in that kind of position that people are looking at me for that. That's a lot of pressure, man. But you can't get past the fact that you are, if you're going to follow Christ, you're called to it. Everyone is a stamp leader. There's a stamp. Everyone is a stamp leader. You're like, you just made that up. No, I didn't. I stole it. Here's why I say we need to be a stamp leader. Everyone, everyone's a stamp. See, uh, back in the day, actually, you know, back, uh, you know, 1700s, 1800s, you know, they would send uh, written correspondence or letter information, and everyone had a seal. Everyone had a stamp. You'd pour some wax on it, and that's how you would seal an envelope, and you had your stamp. And so if you got a letter from George Washington, one that's really cool, unless, you know, you were in trouble with George, um, but it would have his stamp on it. You knew that it was from him. And here's the thing. Here's the thing with being a stamp leader. Whether you want to or not, you are going to make an impression on people. You are going to stamp every person that comes into your life, whether you like it or not. You're going to stamp them. And people are going to realize that's your stamp, and that's the impression that you have left. The question is, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we want to leave behind when we stamp people? What's the actual impression that we want to leave on the lives that we come in contact with? And I'm going to be honest with you, here's my greatest struggle. Maybe you've heard that saying, right? Preach the gospel and in when necessary, use words, right? Who's heard that? Who's heard, come on, oh, seriously. You know, there's a bunch of people, half-armed people, whatever. Now, I hear that all the time. Man, it sounds good, right? It really does. It sounds nice. You could put that on a T-shirt. You could probably put a Bible verse with that and rip that out of context. Maybe a coffee mug. It's, and I like it. I'm like, I'm just going to live it out, okay? And I don't have to talk to nobody. I really don't want to talk to anybody. I just live it out. It's nice. It just doesn't work. It's just not designed to function that way. We need to see that humbly setting the example certainly does mean living out the gospel, but it's also using your words to tell people and go, I was lost and now I'm found. This was in my life and this is how Jesus changed my life. I'm not afraid to tell you honestly what's happening. And here's the thing. Look, this is why it's my struggle. Okay, this is just me being honest. Maybe you don't struggle with it, but I do. And I, that may be a shock. You're like, dude, you're a, you're a pastor. That, aren't you supposed to not be bad? At, no, struggle with it. My life's not perfect. I sin just as much as you all. I'm jacked up maybe a little bit more than some of you all. And I don't want to say something and be a contradiction. I've also, there's been so many times where I have allowed the guilt of sin and the fear of rejection to seal my mouth shut. The Thessalonians, though, they spoke the truth about what Christ accomplished in their life. Their faith 
further showed the trust and the truth that was in their life. God is not asking us to be the perfect answer. Jesus took care of that, okay? We're called to live knowing and telling and showing that Jesus is the only answer. Another barrier to kind of leading humbly sometimes is we don't think that we're mature enough in our faith. I, I'm just, I'm, I, you know, I'm not fully equipped. I don't know how to say those things. That's why Tim's here and he's doing evangelism three, two, one. So you can't use that excuse anymore. That was, that was for free, Tim. Shameless plug. You know, it's ironic that the Thessalonians were actually a younger church. They were a young, younger set of believers, but yet... They were setting the example for other churches and impacting other people for the gospel. We can't say that we lack experience, and so therefore we can't lead anymore. That, that rips that one out. You know, it's interesting. One uh, set of research said this, that um, in most churches, 70 to 80% of a church's growth is actually the result of that particular body of believers sharing what God has and is doing in the lives with their friends and their relatives. It's not the crazy marketing schemes. It's not that, dude, that band is so rocking. Our band is pretty good. But, you know, it's not because they have all this cool stuff at church. It's because the body is telling people and living out the gospel. That's what draws people in. That's what research was saying, going, that's why it grew. That's why people were growing. So we've got to be willing to live it, but we've got to be bold enough to say it. Let me close with this, okay? I'm going to leave you with this. I know that the, the past two weeks have been challenging. Last week we heard Pastor Eric talk about the necessity of maturing. And I don't know about you, but man, I needed that. I know we all needed that. And this week, right, it's right into, man, what we need to do to be following rightly, to be leading rightly. And I got to be honest, because I honestly, I love each and every one of you, I'm not apologizing that those two weeks were hard. We all need this. We all need this. And the lives around us are begging for this to be lived out. They're begging for it to impact them. We're called to it. Look, we're ready. We're ready here. We're ready at Oasis. We're ready to push the ball down the field. And honestly, we want to score some points for the kingdom. Okay? We're ready. We want to live this out. And we want to live it out with you through Christ to change everything outside of those doors. And this is honestly why we need communion every single week. We need to be able to come and remember the sacrifice that happened on the cross. We need the opportunity to pray every single week and reset our heart and our mind. We need to be able to repent from the times of where we have struggled or maybe we weren't setting the example or maybe there was a lack of humility and be reconciled to people. And we need the opportunity, honestly, to give and live generously. 
So what will you do with those ingredients? How will you follow those instructions? And if you are, if you're willing to go hard after God, if you're willing to to grow and mature as a leader in that way, I'm telling you right now, there is no stopping what Christ can do and impacting not just this street or the next street or this little town, but we will see lives changed, transformation happen. That's my prayer. That's my hope. Let's pray. Lord, none of this is possible at all or even remotely possible unless there is you. And Lord, that's, man, that, that, we need that so much, Father. We need you so much, Lord, that you would, man, you would prick our hearts, that you would pull and push the desire into the places for your word, Lord, to come to you. You want so badly. Just like it said at the beginning, Lord, you designed this faith, this belief to be relational, but not just the lowest grade, but the highest possible grade relationship, Lord. That's what I want with you. I know that's what we want with you, Lord. So Lord, give us the boldness and the encouragement and honestly, Lord, the exhortation that's needed from your word to live that out. Lord, so we thank you so much for your son and for what he has accomplished for each and every one of us. Lord, that we would walk boldly in it. In your son's name, amen.